Award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHMLP Ravenswood, West Virginia. I'm dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome to Speed Zone, the best motorsports show on radio. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and across the next hour, we'll recap everything. Yes, everything in racing that happened in the last week. We'll discuss the latest news and cap it all off with a star-studded interview. So buckle up, rev your motor, and drop the hammer, because this is Speed Zone. And welcome, everybody, to tonight's episode of Speed Zone. I'm Ben Cower, and we got a lot to cover from this last week. Didn't have an episode last week. There was Herd Baseball. That's right, Marshall Thundering Herd Baseball was last Wednesday, and it went deep into the night, so we had no episode last week. But we're back this week. Isn't that great? We're back on the air. we got a plenty to talk about tonight. Uh, a lot happened in the last week uh, in motorsports, and a lot happened this past weekend. We're going to talk about it all tonight on this episode of Speed Zone. So, and I'm Ben Cower. Hope you enjoy the episode tonight. We've got plenty to talk about. So let's hop right into the first segment. As you guys know it, Flag to Flag. Welcome to Flag to Flag, a recap of the week that was in motorsports, as Ben Cower covers everything you might have missed in this past week of racing action. And yes, that's right. It's flag to flag time. So let's cover everything that happened in the last week of racing. And not a ton happened this past week. So it was Easter weekend. But you know what? It wasn't all doom and gloom. There was, there was nothing, uh, nothing, nothing didn't happen, I guess, so to say. So there was some NASCAR racing and there was some World of Outlaws. So let's talk about it. Let's start out with trucks as they were on uh, Bristol Dirt this past weekend. The NASCAR or NASCAR itself visited Bristol Dirt. That's right. They covered Bristol Motor Speedway in dirt for the third time in a row. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's up to you. But the Truck Series was the first series to race on it this weekend, and it was Joey Logano taking the victory in a caution-filled race. Again, the moonlighting Joey Logano waxing the field, winning the Truck Series race on dirt. It was the uh, reigning NASCAR Cup Series champion sweeping the first two stages of the race, uh, leading 138 of the 150 laps crossing the finish line uh, just over a, a second, about 1.2 seconds ahead of Thor Sport Racing teammate Ty Majeski. Yes, that's right. Joey Logano was racing in an extra Thor Sport Racing truck this past weekend. The 66 truck, again, took the victory. Long runs were not of the order, and they were uh, not the order of the day as the race was punctuated by 11 cautions for 64 laps in the in the 150-lap event. Uh, there's a lot of trucks rubbing fenders, cutting tires, and spinning on the slick clay surface with predictable frequency. Yeah, there was a lot of wrecks. And out front for virtually the entire race, it was Logano avoiding the chaos behind him. William Byron, a two-time Cup Series winner this season, ran third in the number 51 KBM, Kyle Busch Motorsports Chevrolet. And uh, Matt Crafton was fourth. He ended up racing on Sunday, followed by Grant Enfinger. Jake Garcia gets his third top 10 of the year, the young guy. Chase Briscoe, another Cup Series driver in the field. Tanner Gray, Caden Honeycutt, and Matt DiBenedetto rounded out the top 10. Dirt late model ace Jonathan Davenport finished 14th. 
one spot behind Haley Deegan, who ran as high as third during the early stages of the race. She came home 13th in the 13 truck. Ty Majeski leads the series standings by 34 points over defending champion Zane Smith, who was collected in a three-truck accident on lap 95, but managed to come home 21st. Now on to the Cup Series. It also raced on the Bristol Dirt Track this weekend. And again on Sunday night, Easter, a Dirt Series regular finally won NASCAR's Crown Jewel uh, Dirt Race again at Bristol Motor Speedway under the lights. And it was Christopher Bell fixing that problem, holding off a yet again charging Tyler Reddick in the final stage of the 250-lap race. Bell held a slim lead over Reddick when NASCAR called the 14th caution of the race with 200 yards left in the final circuit because of a stranded Ross Chastain in the top groove after a last lap pileup on the backstretch. A dirt track aficionado who won three straight Chili Bowl Midget Nationals from 2017 through 2019, Bell collected his first victory of the season and the fifth of his Cup Series career. Staying out on old tires after the end of Stage 2, Bell led the last 100 laps. Reddick, on the other hand, forewent a pit stop after Stage 1 and won Stage 2, but paid the price with a pit stop at the end of the second break and rested 12th on lap 151. And it wasn't until lap 223 that Reddick passed eventual fifth place finisher Chase Briscoe for the second position. There was some contact there with Briscoe scraping the outside wall in turn four while Reddick began his pursuit of Bell. That final caution, as there was an exciting finish building up, foiled any opportunity that he might have had to make a slide job uh, at the end there to potentially take the victory. Kyle Larson won the 75-lap stage one wire-to-wire. He led everything, but he uh, angered Ryan Priest with a move that forced the Stewardos Racing driver into the outside wall as Larson was plowing through the field. And Priest returned the favor in turn four uh, later on in the race as Kyle Larson's number five Chevrolet then shot to the inside of the door. Uh, Priest's number 41 Ford before spinning into the outside wall as they made some contact on the back stretch. We'll talk about that later. Austin Dillon at the finish of the race ran third, followed by Daytona 500 winner and Dirt Series ace, or Dirt ace, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. finishing in fourth. Chase Briscoe finished top five, uh, despite the contact uh, near the end with Tyler Reddick. So Reddick was just trying to get to the front and go time and maybe a little bit of payback after last year. Justin Haley finished right behind Chase Briscoe and drivers with some dirt track backgrounds claim the, uh, again, the top, five, top six finishing positions Martin Trix Jr. was P7. Todd Gilliland continues to have an impressive year this year. Finished P8 in the 38 car. Kevin Harvick uh, in his uh, final season, final run at the dirt track at Bristol finishes P9, and Ty Gibbs continues his top 10 streak, finishing in the top 10. Dirt Again, dirt ringer Jonathan Davenport driving for Colleague Racing in its third car. The 13 was caught up in that wreck with Ryan Priest uh, earlier on in the race, and Larson spat. Uh, he whacked the 5 car and sent the 13 car to the garage, and he finished in 36th. Christopher Bell now leads the standings after his win with Ross Chastain in second. Kevin Harvick in his final season, currently in third. Finishing things 
out, the World of Outlaws. It was the Osborne Sprint Car Showdown on Friday, and it was Sheldon Hodenshield winning that at uh, US 36 Raceway, and then the Jason Johnson Classic on Saturday at 81 Speedway, and Rico Abreu taking the victory there. So that'll conclude flag to flag, as uh, again, a lot, little but a lot happened this week, and there's a lot to talk about. Up next in the show, I'm going to catch a quick breather when we come back. It's my favorite segment of the show. What's up this week? You know, there's going to be a lot going on this week, a lot more than this past weekend, so stay tuned right after this quick break. More here on Speed Zone. When it comes to cancer, what you don't know can kill you. Too many Americans over 50 haven't received potentially life-saving screenings for colon and breast cancer. That's a problem. Colon cancer is a leading cause of cancer deaths in the U.S., and breast cancer is a leading cause of cancer deaths among women. In fact, one out of every eight women will get breast cancer in her lifetime. Early detection is so important. If you're between 50 and 75, get screened for colon cancer. The earlier colon cancer is found, the easier it is to cure. Women between 50 and 74 need to get a mammogram every two years. Screening can find breast cancer early when treatment is most effective. If you're over 50, talk to your healthcare provider about getting screened for cancer. It could save your life. For more information, visit www.cdc.gov cancer. And welcome back, everybody, to Speed Zone. I'm Ben Cower, and it's time for that segment of the show that I love the most, and I love saying it. What's up this week? Yeah, there's a lot going on this week. We got NASCAR, Martinsville, World of Outlaws, the World Endurance Championship, IndyCar, the Southern Modified Tour, and IMSA. Let's talk about it. Let's let you know what's going on this weekend. What's up this week? So let's start out with Friday. Friday is a threefer for the Craftsman Truck Series with practice and qualifying at 3 p.m. And then the Long John Silvers 200 at Martinsville at 7.30 p.m. for some short track truck action. The Xfinity Series practice and qualifying is in between all that after the practice and qualifying for the Truck Series starting at 5 p.m. So it's going to be a loaded day of NASCAR racing on Friday to set the field for the truck, set the field for the Xfinity Series. There's going to be some DNQs for that Xfinity race, so make sure to tune in. And then the World of Outlaws also in action on Friday night with the first of two races this weekend at the uh, Federated Auto Parts Raceway at I-55 for the I-55 Outlaw Showdown. And again, that Truck Series race at 7.30 p.m. on Friday. Now, let's swap over to Saturday. It's loaded with short track racing and a precursor to Long Beach. And uh, we'll start out with the Southern Modified Tour with the Hickory 100 being run at none other than the famed Hickory Motor Speedway on Saturday. And uh, second day of the I-55 Outlaw Showdown takes place again for the World of Outlaws uh, Federated Auto Parts Raceway, I-55. Then halfway across the country on the west coastline takes place the IMSA race at Long Beach but right before that IndyCar qualifying starts at noon which is also at Long Beach for the race on Sunday and then also that happens before the IMSA race. Then in the realm of NASCAR we have Cup Series practice and qualifying starting at 4.35 p.m. again on Saturday with the Xfinity Series after the field gets set on Friday dueling on the paperclip under 
under the lights for the Call Before You Dig 250 starting at 7.30 p.m. Again at Martinsville and again on Saturday night. Sunday will begin with the six hours of Portimao for the uh, WEC, otherwise known as the World Endurance Championship, and then a spectacle for the IndyCar Series Crown Jewel event as uh, the IndyCar Series races in Long Beach yet again to see who takes home the trophy uh, again in the Long Beach Grand Prix after a thriller in Texas two weekends ago. How can IndyCar follow that up? Guess you gotta tune in. And then again on Sunday, the NOCO 400 for the NASCAR Cup Series uh, with the weekend in racing ending in Martinsville for 500 laps of short track racing. Coverage for that Cup Series race will begin at 3 p.m. So again, lots happening this week. Tune in for what you can and not to mention, here in the uh, local area here in West Virginia, if you want to come out and visit, Ona Speedway testing. It's the second straight weekend of that. Go out and visit Ona Speedway in Ona, West Virginia. Watch some testing. There's going to be plenty of series out there, people making runs, tuning up the cars. It's fun. Go to uh, go visit it. Again, Ona Speedway testing uh, this Saturday. Go visit. And uh, lots coming up on the show here on Speed Zone. We got uh, the racing roundtable coming up. Only one panelist tonight, and I'll leave it mystery to find out who that panelist is. But if you've been paying attention to the show for a while, you might. You, you probably already know. You probably already know. Guess you got to stay tuned after this quick break here on Speed Zone. Imagine if drug abusers said exactly what was on their minds. Hi, Jim. Uh, you got a minute? Only if it's a quick minute, Steve. Well, it's the Anderson file. We should talk about it. No, listen, I'd love to, uh, but I was just about to snort some coke. What'd you say? Snort coke? That's right. Cocaine. You know, blow, nose candy. I do it all day. Not your typical office conversation, but consider this. One in seven working Americans uses illegal drugs. But what about the Anderson file? Tell you what. Let me duck into the men's room, do a couple of lines, and I'll be right with you. Of course, drug abusers aren't this candid about their problem, but sooner or later, their problem speaks for itself. Okay, got my head cleared. Now, about that Peterson file. Anderson file, Jim. What can you do for someone who needs help? Give them this number, 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-HELP. It's the number of the National Drug Abuse Helpline. It's free, it's confidential, and it just may be the help they need. This message brought to you by the Partnership for a Drug-Free America. Hey, if you don't want to listen, get your earplugs ready, because we're about to hear some high-octane debate. It's time for the Racing Roundtable, with your host Ben Cower and multiple guest panelists. Whew, now that that's over, who's at the table today? All right, welcome to Racing Roundtable. That's it's that segment of the show, and this week, as I said before the break, we only got one panelist this week. And again, if you're a fan of the show, you probably already know who it is. It's none, other, it's none other than Dale Garrett. Dale, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Sweet. What, tell the people what you're eating. Well, I just finished some cookout here on set. <laughs> Um, during the flag to flag, I was scarfing down a chicken finger while Ben was trying to finish the segment. Mm. While I was struggling, Dale was enjoying. Yes. Dale was enjoying some uh, chicken. So forgive my voice tonight if it is a little <laughs> wonky. No, it sounds good. You sound good, Dale. Awesome. All right. All right. So we got a busy show tonight and a lot of news to talk about. And we got some breaking news today. I guess uh, we'll, we'll start out the roundtable discussion with that. 
as today it was announced on Chase, it was announced by Chase Elliott himself on his Twitter that Chase Elliott will be back in the nine car for Hendrick Motorsports this weekend at Martinsville. Again, he's back, announced on Twitter just a few short hours ago. He'll be back in the car for Martinsville. His waiver for playoff eligibility has been approved by NASCAR. He's missed every race since Auto Club in late February with a fractured left leg during a snowboarding accident. Elliott was week to week on Monday. It's the words of Jeff Gordon. And then suddenly, now it's Wednesday, and he's back in the car. Dale, with Talladega next week, Martinsville this week, and the possibility of re-aggravating that injury, is Elliott rushing back too soon? Or would you say the timing's just right? I think it's better to come back this weekend in Martinsville than it would be for Talladega, for sure, no doubt. But... Um Considering the type of injury that it is, you know, with Martinsville being a brake-heavy track, I I don't know if this is the best decision, but obviously he's a race car driver. He wants to get back in the car, not only for himself, but for his team and all of his partners. So um, I don't want to say if there is a right time for it. It's just, all right, when are you healthy enough to get back in the seat? So if, if him and the doctors feel that he's healthy enough to get back in the seat, then we are also led to believe that he's healthy enough to get back in the seat. Yeah, Elliot, uh, it was it was reported today that Chase, well, he stepped into the simulator. He got into the Chevy Sim and tested it out, and then after spending that time in the Sim, whether it was on Monday or, or yesterday on Tuesday, uh, he, he said he was all good to go. And for those who don't know, again, it was his uh, again his left leg got fractured in that snowboarding accident, and that's uh, it's his breaking foot. So you're going to be using a lot of that at Martinsville, and then not exactly going to be using if any break outside of you know slowing down for the pits at Talladega. But the last thing you know you want to do is reaggravate that injury on a big track, which with these next gen cars being built like bricks, you know all the energy gets dissipated to the driver. And the last thing that, you know, if you're Rick Hendrick or anybody, or Chase Elliott, for that matter, is to re-aggravate that injury and then just make this a whole season-long thing. So, I don't know. I I honestly, I'm not Chase Elliott. I'm not Hendrick Motorsports. I don't know how much that leg is healed. But Neither are you a doctor. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose that kind of stuff. <laughs> but from my outsider's standpoint my uneducated opinion slightly educated opinion uh is that i think it's a little too early that's my hot take i think he shouldn't have come back before dega you think you think here i'll pose you this dale you think they put barry back in the car for dega and then they bring elliot back after dega or do you think you think they do that thing where uh, elliot starts the race pulls it down pit road they swap him out with another driver during like the first caution or first set of pit stops and then uh after that put another driver in just to be play it safe it's possible it's been done before i think uh, most recent to do it was uh denny hamlin i want to say um but it's it's possible i mean my myself being at dega after an injury is not probably the smartest idea but mm-hmm you know, again, we're not doctors, clearly. Um, so, or Chase Elliott himself. So, you know. Yeah, that is that's a good point. Whatever happens, happens. I think uh, I don't know. I, like I, as a as a Tony Stewart fan, uh, I remember 2016 after Tony broke his back 
or before the season started. Uh, it was around this time he came back for Richmond and then drove the full race there. But what they did is, again, Stewart ran his first full first race back at a short track. And then Talladega was the next race at that point. And what they did is they pulled Tony out of the car and put Ty Dillon in it uh, after the first caution. So they put Ty Dillon in it for the rest of the race. And if you, if you don't know at home, if a driver starts the race... Uh, they don't necessarily need to finish the race in that car to receive the points. It's whoever starts the race in the car receives the points for the for the, for the race. Uh, I think the most notorious <laughs> the most notorious example of that is the uh, Eric Almarola and Denny Hamlin, Milwaukee, 2007. Almarola started the race. Uh, the sponsor pulled Almarola, even though he was leading for Hamlin to put Hamlin in the car. Hamlin ends up winning, but the win got credited to Eric Almarola. So that would still be the case. Chase Elliott could technically, if they do do that at Talladega, they could pull him for Barry. Josh Barry gets in the car, wins the race, but doesn't actually get credited with the win, and Chase Elliott wins and he makes the playoffs. That'd be awesome. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it wouldn't be awesome. I well, wouldn't like that. I want Barry to get a win. I would too, but, you know, it'd be... Be funny. I guess it would be. Yeah, <laughs> I guess interesting is a better word for that. Yeah, the, the it, this uh, Chase Elliott's he's he's thirty fourth in points right now, and I guess it's the best possible season he could have gotten this injury, considering that now the top thirty rule in the off season, where in the past uh, during this n- newest iteration of the playoffs uh, since twenty fourteen, you had to be in the top. 30 in the point standings with a win to be able to qualify for the playoffs. If you were 31st, so to say, and you had a win, but you were 31st, you didn't, you couldn't make the playoffs, which is why there was this rush in the past to try and make the top 30 if uh, somebody missed X amount of the season. Kyle Busch had the same dilemma in 2015. Um, Stewart, too, in 2016. And... Uh, various drivers throughout the years with various injuries but nascar gave him the gave him the waiver and elliot should be good to go for martinsville but it's going to be one heck of a test on that on that breaking leg because he's going to have to he's going to have to use it a lot and he's got to hope that he doesn't take any hard shots on sunday yeah i mean i just we're not doctors. That's really the only yeah. thing I have. That's yeah. really the only thing I have to say for that. I mean, obviously, like I said, he want, he, he wants to get back in the car. Everybody wants him in the car, which mm-hmm. that really doesn't matter. But, um, you know, he wants to get back in that car. His partners want him in that car. So, It was originally prognosticated to pull that word out of the, out of the back. <laughs> to pull that word out of my back pocket. It was originally prognosticated that Chase wouldn't be back till the 600 and then now he's back like a month early. Dale, are you impressed with that word? I am. I probably used it wrong. I've never heard it in my entire You want me to look it up right now? No, not really. Let me look it up. Prognosticated. Prognosticate. To foretell a prophecy or future event. I did use it right. Okay. Wow. (laughs) You learn something every day here, folks. (laughs) See, you learn more than just NASCAR news and, and racing news here on Speed Zone. You're learning you get a grammar lesson too. Learning vocabulary. <laughs> All right. So yeah, Chase Elliott's back, and with that, let's head on to the next topic. 
Dirt Bristol. That's right. It happened this past weekend. I talked about it. Uh, should it stay or should it go, Dale? There's been some varying opinions on it. Uh, good, bad. Uh, the racing, in your opinion, how was it on Sunday? Uh, should it stay? Should it go? And if, if it does go, what do you replace it with? So... I'm a traditionalist. I'm always going to like my two races on the on the concrete. As far as the racing goes on Sunday, I mean, it was I thought it was good, you know, I didn't think it was superb because you look at the lap lead count, it's like 1 liter, 1 liter, 1 liter for each stage. Um there was more passing than I do remember there being yeah. the last few years for sure. Yeah. Um but but as far as should it stay or should it go? I like my two races on the concrete. I know that attendance was not the greatest there toward the end. I mean, it was the same case this weekend at, at on the dirt. There was the attendance was not that great. Mm-hmm. It was not that great. It was shockingly empty, even compared to last year, where even last year with all the weather, mm-hmm. there was still okay attendance. And I don't know. I I I agree with you, Dale. Where I think that, like, I, I love my two pavement Bristol races, too, but the problem is that a lot of NASCAR fans with regards to Bristol haven't really put their money where their mouth is, where it seems that everybody loves concrete Bristol, and yet nobody showed up in the spring for many years. So arguably the last 10 years, it's been a massive fall in attendance at Bristol, and it got to the point where I remember 2019. I, if you mm-hmm. want to know what I'm saying, look up photos of it on, on Google Images. Look up the 2019 Food City 500. And the stands for that race was dreadful looking. I think the attendance for that was like 25 or 30K. It was like 30,000 people. It was awful. And they, they it was so bad that they literally closed off the entire turn sections of stands it was just empty and then the back stretch was like 35 percent full and then the front stretch was relatively but even then it was still kind of patchy the attendance was really bad and that combined with you know trying to stir something up uh, exiting covid to uh, that's why they brought this they made the change to dirt bristol to try and you know reinvigorate the attendance here in the spring then uh it worked at first but it's a shame that the first two events were marred by weather. And now finally in year three, NASCAR and, and SMI, who owns Bristol, get the, the racing part right. It was great. I thought it was very entertaining. You could use all sorts of lines. Uh, the track prep was good. It, it was slick. Um, you could use the high line. You could use the low line. You could run really anywhere on the track. Um, and it was competitive. It was exciting to watch. Uh, I thought it was nearly as good as a race at Bristol, as a pavement race. Uh, I, I thought it was, and the, uh, I don't know, it was kind of divisive again with the fans uh, saying that, you know, this shouldn't be on dirt, it's dumb, and then you have uh, obviously some of the NASCAR stars saying that maybe we should or shouldn't, you know, keep it on this surface. Uh, I know Jonathan Davenport, who wrecked out of the race and really didn't really have a ton of speed in the 13 car really i mean in his own words he, he couldn't really get it past he couldn't gain more three than three positions on a single run mm-hmm. and that was more of davenport's problem than 
other cars. Uh, but Davenport said, you know, this whole NASCAR and dirt thing, it seems like it's more for show than it is an actual race. And even though he, he seemed to enjoy it, that, that quote not entirely out of context, Davenport seemed to enjoy the race. He said it in a relatively positive tone, but he, uh, just using his words, you know, it's more for show than it is an actual race. I don't know. I don't know about that. I thought it was very competitive. And when you see guys like Kyle Larson struggling to win at, at a track like this, I think it's a true test to these guys. The fact that it took a dirt regular or a guy that regularly races on dirt outside of, you know, pavement racing in NASCAR, three years to win it, I think that's pretty uh, telling to how difficult of an event this was to to win. Then you got Christopher, Christopher Bell and Tyler Reddick ripping the top, and it was going to be one heck of a finish before everybody in the backstretch decided to ruin it. Oh, I was upset about that. <laughs> I think everybody was. And the I feel bad because immediately you see Chastain sitting there in the middle of top of turn three. You know what I said when that happened? Yep. Thanks, Ross. There <laughs> <laughs> were everybody in the last two weeks this has been blaming Ross Chastain. You stub your toe on, on the end of a table, you step on a Lego, it's Ross Chastain's fault. Thanks, Ross. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Chastain got pummeled on the backstretch with like four other cars and it was his unlucky car that limped to the top and stopped. So they had to, NASCAR very fair, had to throw the caution on the last lap and it was kind of a uh, a, a real bummer of a end to that Good race. Mm -hmm. I thought it was good. It was. Um, the tires, there wasn't tire issues, too. Because that was also an issue in the past where I remember it was the first running of the race. The tires were just shredding. It was just horrible. They were burning up really quickly. The, the rubber was laying kind of awkwardly. Goodyear didn't really bring the, the best tire. But I think the switch from day to night and then also exper more experience with the track prep... The racing for Dirt Bristol, the best it's arguably ever been, but at least for NASCAR in the Cup Series, the truck race is a whole other story. That was a, that was a mess. And then, uh, of which I, I wouldn't really exactly miss the Truck Series not racing here. I think if, it was a, if they had to make it a Cup-only thing, I wouldn't be against that. But uh, it's a shame. Finally, once they get everything figured out, nobody's there to see it. Mm. Nobody showed up. And I think... They should give this track another shot. That's my opinion on it. I think they should do Dirt Bristol for one more year, at least. But don't do it on Easter Sunday. I was going to bring that up. I don't think it helps that it's on a holiday. Yeah. Especially being Easter. Easter. It's yeah. like, don't people aren't going to show up in droves on Easter for a dirt race. You might have locals. Yeah. Like, and that's that's what it looked like, is there was locals there. Everyone within an hour's vicinity. Mm-hmm. But it's like if you can drive there after the middle part of the day, you know, mm -hmm. after dinner, you know, dinner or, or celebrating everything in the morning with your family, morning, afternoon, early afternoon, I guess, because the race is at seven, I think, uh, you know, celebrating and then I guess going there, you can't really make it if you're more than like an hour out. And it's just inconvenient for attendance. Mm -hmm. I think it's if they moved it back a week or shifted something around, I wouldn't be entirely opposed. That I think it would be a bad move, but because I don't want to see less short tracks. But the attendance at Richmond is real rough. 
I think maybe if you consider reducing Richmond down to one race and then you move Bristol up a week and then see how it, or, or maybe back a week, shift something around um, to see if you can get people to go and it's not conflicting with something else going on. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you try Dirt Bristol at least one more time. And if it doesn't work, then try it one more year. And then by 2025, uh, with the, the ruling in Nashville, the Nashville fairgrounds should be ready by then. Or maybe even you consider North Wilkesboro, too, with all the renovations there. Mm-hmm. Anything else left on Dirt Bristol, Dale? No, I agree with that last point. All right, so uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we got plenty more to talk about here during the Racing Roundtable section of Speed Zone, so stay tuned. This tree was never chopped down because this crutch never needed to be carved because these legs never grew weak because this child never got polio. Over the past 20 years, Rotary Club members have helped immunize over 2 billion children against polio. Now we are on the brink of eradicating this crippling disease once and for all. But we need your help. Thanks to an historic matching grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, every dollar Rotary raises will work twice as hard to make sure vaccines reach the people who need it, to protect the children of the world against polio forever. This is an opportunity to end polio now. Visit rotary.org slash end polio. Rotary, humanity in motion. And welcome back to Speed Zone. I'm Ben Cower, and uh, yeah, we're we're back. We got plenty more to talk about. We're gonna stay not as it's talking about something that happened during Dirt Bristol that we didn't mention, but uh, yeah, you know, just getting into the first topic here. Larson versus Priest. Kyle Larson and Ryan Priest uh, got into a fight. Not not with fists, but on the track. They were running into each other, weren't exactly the happiest with each other. Uh, if you missed the race, Kyle Larson ended up... He got he was on the high side exiting turn four earlier on in the race. Uh, Ryan Priest uh, was a lane below, and Larson kind of stuck his car where there wasn't really quite much of a gap, and Priest ended up getting put in the wall. And Ryan Priest, last couple weeks, has been getting run into a lot, and it really... Maybe it has or hasn't been Priest's fault, but Priest has been pretty angry. Called everybody a bunch of hacks after uh, Circuit of the Americas, and pretty done with a lot of the cup field already in his return to full-time cup racing, and kind of let it be known that, hey, I'm not going to tolerate getting pushed around, and then all of a sudden, later on the race, after because uh, when he got that had that contact with uh, with Larson, it broke his toe link. He went three down, made those laps back up, still didn't get the best finish in the world, but uh, ended up <laughs> making some contact with Kyle Larson on the backstretch, and then uh, put Kyle Larson in the fence. So he uh, he talked the talk about you know holding his, and standing his ground, and then proceeded to walk the walk. Kyle Larson had some comments on that. I'll let you listen and uh this is kyle kyle larson in his own words on the incident i haven't honestly raced with him that much you know he's been kind of out of the cup series a little bit for the last couple years and um you know he wasn't in the best stuff 
uh, when he was cup racing before, so I, I haven't spent too much time around him. I don't remember if I've been <laughs> or if he's been mad at me before. I've never been mad at him, but I know he was obviously. I mean, everybody saw his comments after Coda, so I'm sure he's uh, he's standing his ground, I guess, right now. I mean, a little bit surprised just because it'd been so long, and like I said, it wasn't. It wasn't my fault why he why he was back there you know I think something happened to him off of two earlier and he ran in the back of somebody and spun out and then um, like I said it'd been probably an hour and a half I, I would have to guess since then so um, figured we could just be grown-ups and get the f over it but I guess not oh yeah that was a spicy comment there at the end uh, Kyle Larson uh, obviously wasn't happy with the contact and wasn't happy with himself at the fact he lost that race. He dominated the first stage, led from flag to flag, and then uh, it all just kind of went sour and then got worse with that contact with Ryan Priest. So, Dale, obviously, Larson versus Priest, who was in the wrong? Uh, I mean... Your thoughts on it, I guess. I mean, uh, Larson wasn't clear end of the day uh, the first incident where he put priest in the wall coming off of four i believe it was um he just he wasn't clear it reminded me a lot of the incident at auto club with chase elliott in 22 where i don't i'm not 100 sure if his spotter then is his spotter now which i'm pretty sure it is might be um i think it was tyler mon i want to say i think so okay I think so, yes. I believe it is. But um, as far as, you know, the second incident with, with well, let me back up. The, 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 the spotter, I don't know if it was spotter. I'd have to hear radio communication from um, the five to, to make a proper assessment on this because, you know, it, it all kind of happened in a hurry, as it usually does. And um, he, he wasn't clear. And uh, the second incident... Uh, catching up the second incident um, Larson flat out wrecked himself I mean when Priest put him in the wall you know and then the car shot down the track of course he's going to say something broken due to the recent incidents about admitting to wrecking people but I mean he <laughs> he went after him there ain't no yeah. doubt um, but he um, ended up wrecking himself anyways or maybe something did break we don't know but it I I don't believe it <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Priest's words were and I quote got loose yeah, <laughs> got loose, and uh, especially after the the sizable fine and points penalty to Denny Hamlin that actually got upheld by the uh, same appeals panel uh, that has been in the news as of late. Uh, Denny, uh, the drivers, I guess, have been treading lightly. I guess if they're going to make contact with somebody, and Ryan Priest played it the exact way he needed to after he admit he didn't admit to abs he didn't admit to anything. Mm -hmm. If anything, uh, you could probably derive some intent from what he said on the radio before he went and had some contact with the five, but uh, didn't admit to anything. Larson, yeah, I, I agree. Larson initiated it, and then, heck, I think the five, if you go back and watch it, I, I think the five initiated it on the second time, too. I mean, the five was running the top again. The 41 was on the bottom again. And then the five, like, slid into the door of the 41 again. Priest didn't turn up. And then that's when Priest turned up and was like, no, no, no. And then they ran into each other heading into turn four, or turn three, excuse me. And uh, Larson just got 
<laughs> sent around because Priest was done with him at that point. And uh, Larson went to the outside wall, clipped the 13, which didn't help. And uh, really, t- it took him out of the race. He drove to the garage after that because his car was all broke. But obviously, Larson was not happy with that. I'd say Priest was in the right. I'm glad that he, he stood up. You know, no matter how his performance has been this year, but I think it's good that there's almost a uh, a Ryan Newman like figure back in the, <laughs> back in the Cup garage, where uh, you know he's like a mo- he's a modified guy, he's a big dude, uh, he's not going to get pushed around, and sometimes you might not be running the best, but you know he's not going to let anybody disrespect him on the track, and it's establishing almost a an old style sense of order where it's like, hey. I'll race you fair, but if you punt me, you use me up, I'm not going to be happy with that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of the... We'll lead into that as the next the next topic. Uh, Ryan Priest fighting back and walking the walk. What, what do you think about that, Dale? You think Priest is in the right, or do you think Priest is... You think Ryan Priest is a little too upset about a lot of these incidents? I applaud him staying on his ground, no doubt, for sure. Um, but... One thing I want to bring up about the incident is something that you did not touch on, and I'm surprised, being a Tony Stewart fan, mm. was that Tony didn't sound happy about it. No, in the broadcast. he did not. You were right. Because he was like, somebody said, I think it was Clint or somebody said, could it be some payback? And Tony said, I sure hope not. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and especially it's... Uh, I mean, that's not what Tony wants to see. That's probably the last guy he wants to see one of his drivers feuding with is Kyle Larson because he thinks so highly of Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where uh, Tony went out of his way to try and get Kyle onto Stuart Haas and like for 2021. And uh, it's because of Ford that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, they... Kyle, or Tony, excuse me, thinks very highly of Kyle Larson, and I mean, that's probably like a nightmare scenario for him, that Kyle Larson runs into his driver, and he already knows that that specific driver's not happy, and then he knew what was coming, and then obviously he doesn't want his equipment getting torn up. Right. He doesn't want to see Kyle Larson's equipment get torn up, and he doesn't want to see his own equipment get torn up, and uh, I don't really know how Tony would take that. I'm not Tony, but... I don't know. Does he discipline Priest over that, or does he does he congratulate him? Because I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we said something along the lines of like, "I'm happy my driver's standing his ground," you know. And then now, now he does, and it's to the I guess it's the the old the curling of the monkey's paw, you know, where it's like you get you wish for something, and then the it, there's a repercussion to that, and. Uh, I'm sure Tony didn't want to see that happen to Larson, but I'm sure deep down at least he's kind of happy that Priest stood his ground and knows that hopefully now nobody's going to go out there and screw with Ryan Priest, no matter if he's running 24th two laps down or if he's running top 10, which might easily be the case at Martinsville this weekend. I'm sure Ryan Priest is going to be going for a win this weekend at Martinsville, and if uh, he's up there with Larson, you know, Ryan Priest isn't... <laughs> He's not a guy that seems to forget, and I'm sure I'm sure he'll not be afraid to push the five out of the way to you know move up a position or so. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy that Ryan Priest is holding his ground as you as you are, Dale, because I think there there needs to be more of that, and it's gonna it's it's even tougher now with the Hamlin 
penalty. <laughs> so uh, I guess we'll move on to the next topic. Christopher Bell took home the victory, the fifth of his Cup Series career on Sunday. And really ever since late last year, Dale, Christopher Bell's been on fire. That 20 car has been probably, I, I would argue, maybe the best car at Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, one Easily one of the best at to- in the Toyota camp. And he's really been making things happen and grown a lot as a driver over the last half year. Would you say... Christopher Bell is is Christopher Bell now a legitimate top title contender in the Cup Series? Yes, I think looking at last year, um, how good he ran last year there toward the end, like you said, he was on fire, and arguably the best, you know, one of the best Toyota cars on the track, and um, he is he's for real. He has showed up here recently. Um, no doubt that uh, momentum is on his side, and I think it'll only continue. He's the points leader right now. Yep. Over Chastain took that away from him. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think that uh, I think that Bell can stay up there all year. But it is still early in the year. Let's not forget. Yeah. You know, this kind of stuff happens. Like Byron last year got hot around this time and then fell off the face of the earth. Yeah, heading into the summer, Byron couldn't get a top ten to save his life yeah, last year. It was yeah. So. It's still early, but right now, I think Bell's uh, Bell's pretty hot. Yeah, I mean, just going back, uh, two wins in the playoffs last year. He had the, the must-win situation at the Roval, and then he won the another must-win situation at Martinsville. And uh, really, since that point, I mean, this year, outside of uh, the wreck that wasn't his fault at Auto Club and then uh, having a rough race at Circuit of the Americas, he has finished no lower or no... Yeah, no higher than sixth place. He has four top fives so far, or five top fives with the win. Uh, third at Daytona, fifth at Vegas, third at Atlanta, fourth at Richmond, wins Bristol, uh, P6 at Phoenix. Now, again, outside of that, just two bad races, and he's the points leader. Uh, you know, it took it's take it's took a couple years, but this is like. This is what Toyota wanted to see out of an Eric Jones, you know, where year three, finally, or year four, technically, in Cup for Bell, because he had that one year with Levine Family Racing in 2020, but uh, that was just like a experience year, you know. But this is finally what TRD has wanted from all of its development drivers. You, you are with a guy for eight years now. Nine, I think. 2014? I think 2014 or 2015, one of those years he won the Eldora truck race, but uh, they've been with him for eight or nine years now, nearly a decade, and he's finally at the tippy-top of the Cup Series, and he has the performance to back it up, and it's no secret that, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing has kind of struggled on and off, and, you know, not all of its drivers are perfect this year, nor were they last year. I mean, look at Kyle Busch, but... uh, uh, and you know, for the twenty car so far this year, great start to the season. I agree. I think Bell is having that. Uh, and it, it, the biggest testament to his ability is his growth on road course tracks, uh, on road courses where now road courses are a bigger part of the Cup Series than ever. And his first uh, two wins in the Cup Series were on road courses. He won the Daytona road course, and his. Uh, second race in the 20 car and then actually 
scratch that. He won at New Hampshire last year in between. But two of his th- first three wins were on road courses. He had no business winning at the Roval last year. Yet he did because he made it happen. And if he can win on short tracks, he can win on road courses. Uh, if he can win on intermediates and then maybe even a big track again, finish P3 Daytona this year. Uh, he can really get it done on every single style of track. That's exactly what you need to be a top driver in the Cup Series and have the performance to back it up. And the fact that Bell isn't a guy like Chastain that really happens to get into incidents with people. He doesn't really have anybody chasing after him in the sense where they want to beat him. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't want to like you know punch his teeth in. Mm-hmm. Nobody really has a, a uh, I guess, a bad blood with Bell. So he has that too. He races re- respectfully. I think he's I, I I think he's one of the best drivers in Cup, and I think he's a legitimate scare for the playoffs this year. But then again, as you said, could cool off during the summer. Anything could happen. There's still a long season to go. All right, so we'll go on to the next topic. Uh, as there was some news this past week, where uh, unfortunate news is how we'll phrase it. But uh, Cody Ware and his whole situation. Cody Ware was up until this past weekend as he was uh, shifted out of the 51 car for at that point to quote Rick Ware Racing personal reasons uh, out of the 51 car Matt Crafton filled in for Cody Ware in the 51 car at the uh, Durstal Durstal Bristol Dirt Race there's no such track called Durstal Durstal maybe they should call it that Durstal <laughs> uh, but yeah he um, Cody was swept out of the car and then nobody there was not really a lot of speculation there was it was airtight it was a very airtight situation on what why Cody Ware was out of the car and uh, it was announced this week that Cody Ware had been arrested uh, for assault and uh, strangulation so it was two charges for Cody Ware and as far as the media outlets go I don't believe he's been bailed out of jail yet it's a three thousand dollar bond but a very unfortunate situation for Cody Ware, uh, currently behind bars for for an assault charge. Uh, you know, devastating to an extent for Rick Ware Racing, where you know his father owns the team. He was the full time driver of the fifty one. Uh, obviously, it has to be a horrible situation for that family to be going through right now. But uh, obviously, the fifty one car is going to need a it's a full-time car it's going to need to run full-time and it's going to need it's got full-time sponsorship too with biohaven pharmaceuticals which if you don't know that's owned by pfizer so that's a pretty big company on the 51 car full-time so that car is going to need some good drivers to fill you know fill that seat it got matt crafton last week it's going to need whether a full-time solution or a patch job of certain drivers to fill in and it was announced today that uh zane smith and it was confirmed by rick racing that uh truck series champion last year zane smith would be filling in the 51 car this weekend but no clue on the rest of the season so as i'm sure rick racing is still trying to figure that out uh with its new competition director uh tommy baldwin jr who's now the comp director over there Dave, my question to you, or Dave, <laughs> Dale, uh, my question to you is, uh, if you're Tommy Baldwin, right, <laughs> if you're Tommy Baldwin, and uh, obviously Rick has other issues to attend to right now, Cody Ware is not going to be in the car maybe even ever again, mm-hmm. who do you fill that 51 car, who, who do you put in the seat for the rest of the season, or what drivers do you consider putting in that seat for the rest of the year? I think that they 
the Zane is the perfect choice for it. Definitely the strongest thing out of the Ford camp right now. No question about it. I'm 99% sure that he's the truck series point leader right now. I can check, but keep talking. Um, He's, you know, proven even in his short tenure in the Cup Series of Gateway filling in for uh, for Busher. And he is, by the way. He's he's the points leader. He has 225 points compared to Krishnak is 194, so he's head and shoulders above everybody in the Truck Series right now. Yeah, and he's just... He's good everywhere he goes. Any type of car he gets in, he's just really good. And like I said, the best thing that Ford has right now. So why not put him in the car? You know, if he can do full-time, great. If not, I I really don't know who I would put in there. I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, you, you'd have to think about, I mean, uh, with, with Talladega coming up, I, I would imagine that, uh, Maybe Todd Gillen gets the 51 because I know front row was going to pull out the third car. Originally, it wasn't going to uh, for Gilliland uh, heading in, into Dega because it's that's one of the Zane Smith races in the 38 this year. So mm-hmm. maybe an agreement gets worked out if uh, 36 was going to run without sponsorship. I'm not sure. Um, maybe Gilliland is in that 51 car for next week and they work out another agreement because Gilliland is already running all the races. He's not in the 38. Uh, in the 15 maybe that gets swapped to the 51 now i don't know but uh i i agree i think you you seriously consider putting zane in there for however much time he can be in there uh i don't know how bob jenkins is going from front row is going to like that i'm sure ford will love it which uh, and front row i mean if you're bob jenkins and you're obviously considering moving Zane to the Cup Series full-time next year. Uh, I don't know. I, I think you are in support of that, but you just hope that it doesn't come at the cost of any performance on the Truck Series side of things. If things start slipping there, I don't know. I think you you, you have to consider, like, okay, maybe we stop this. Uh, and also got to be careful because uh, Zane could lose his eligibility for Rookie of the Year next year if he runs more than 10 races. And uh, maybe it's a Maybe you get like a Brett Moffat situation. Remember that in the 34 car in like mm-hmm. 2015 after you had those races in the 55? Um, maybe, I don't know. I mean, you consider anybody on the Xfinity side you're looking at, like uh, that that could fill in. Maybe maybe even like a Cole Custer or, or a Riley Herbst. You know, Herbst already has run a race in the 15 this year. That's true, yeah. I mean, I... I completely forgot about Cole Custer, so um, <laughs> that's easy to do. Yeah, um, with his performance as of late. Right. Um, maybe you consider Riley Herbst. I don't know. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting going forward to see what they do. I don't think that, that Cody will be in the car. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, You. I don't see any path that he gets back into that car yeah. unless he gets absolved of the charges. And then even then, he's going to have to go through NASCAR sensitivity training. And then mm-hmm. I don't even know if the big sponsor on the car would agree with him being back in the seat. They probably wouldn't. No, I mean, I, I can't imagine they would right. want that. Uh, it's a, a rough a rough situation for the Ware family, considering now both of Rick Ware's kids have been arrested on assault charges at separate times. So, obviously, a lot of issues going on there that hopefully are the best comes of that off the track. Uh, I think... 
you know, I, I won't speculate into that whole situation, but I, I think with regards to pe putting people back in the seat, you know, another person I think you consider, because he did run a race for Rick Ware last year in the 15 car at the most odd ball event, but uh, Parker Kligerman drove a race for Rick Ware last year at Gateway. I think maybe you consider even putting Parker in the seat, maybe during the... Uh, <laughs> the NBC half of the it would actually it would have to be probably before the NBC half of the season um but maybe for any road courses coming up I Garrett Smithley's always an option for Rick Ware I mean he's always hung around there and his his Xfinity rides this year have always been they've been kind of in limbo I know he's at JD Motorsports right now maybe Bailey Curry too because he got he's run with Rick Ware for multiple years in on and off starts and now he got booted out of, he got bought out of his ride at JD Motorsports by Garrett Smithley and Curry's a good shoe and I'd like to see what he could do in a in a full-time ride given like actual consistent reps I'd, I'd like to see maybe Curry in that 51 car I think that'd be interesting and then um I know he's been out of a ride for a while or at least this season and who knows really where he is right now but I think it would be a really cool redemption story if you see a guy like Brandon Brown in that 51 car where he's a guy that can get it done and has shown that he can really make a lot of equipment that isn't quite up to par and he just doesn't have a ride because obviously of the controversy that happened after his win at Talladega and everything early on last year and then some funding issues have closed uh, his team it got bought out by Colin Fern and uh, you know, I'd like to see Brandon Brown maybe get another shot, and then he's already a t it's already a car that doesn't have to worry about sponsorship. Maybe you consider putting a guy like Brown in there. Unless that sponsor doesn't want Brown in there. Yeah, that would be the only downside to that. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of options that Rick Ware could Rick Ware Racing Racing could go with here. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a matter of filling out the remainder of the schedule with the best possible driver combination and it's not the easiest of situations to maneuver and i mean obviously we just wish the best for the Ware family you know hope that everything can be solved there and then obviously for rick Ware racing that it can it can get through losing one of its anchor drivers for the season and now maneuver that and it's uh efforts to try and not lose one or both of its charters at season's end. So as uh, we're getting near the end of the show here, we're just going to have one more topic here, Dale. I got one more thing to talk about, and it's the, uh, as of the recent news, the RTA versus the NASCAR standoff, where uh, this past week um, there was a very notable standoff between the RTA, which is the Race Team Alliance, which is all the racing teams, it's the union of, of all the Cup Series teams and NASCAR, where it chose not to show up or send any representatives to a uh, scheduled meeting with NASCAR representatives to discuss uh, the distri distribution of TV money and the upcoming you know, contract and redistribution of, of the wealth in the sport. And also with the charter situation, uh, Dale, it's it's a rough situation. The teams want more money. They don't want charters to go away. NASCAR, Jim France in particular, wants charters to go away. Apparently, just quoting what it said in the uh, the Athletic article, he hates charters. He wants them to go away. Uh, clearly, the teams and NASCAR right now are at odds a bit. Are we? Dare I say, are we heading towards a cart-like split, or is this a 
solvable situation? It's going to be interesting. I mean, race teams are businesses. They they have to make money at the end of the day or else we're not going to have anybody show up to the racetrack. So I hope it's not as ugly if, if there is a split as mm-hmm. the cart split because whew, we all know how that went. Yeah, it didn't work out well for anybody. No, at all. Um, and still, I mean, it's the, the effects to IndyCar, at least in the ratings and overall attention to the sport nationally has never really recovered to the level it once was in the early 90s Mm -hmm. where it peaked uh but continue and you know going off of what you said nascar's in trouble now ratings are down Mm -hmm. so (laughs) a split is the last thing that the sport needs so i think that it's a solvable situation Mm -hmm. i think all of those uh, bullet points have been taken into account um, hopefully they can negotiate a deal. NASCAR may not make as much money as they want to make. Um, they may have to, to, to furlough some people, unfortunately, but if that's the way it has to be, then that's probably what's going to happen. I, I, I think that I, I agree. It's a solvable situation. I mean, this has been delegated before in the past, but now there's the added caveat of charters, and it doesn't help that right now charters are at its most inflated value ever where a single charter in the cup series will put you out 35 million dollars if you want to go buy one so and it's it's gotten to the point where it's counterproductive where it's chasing owners away from attempting to run the cup series i mean dale jr on his podcast uh, the dale jr download is is said that it's just too pricey he's not going to go spend 35 million dollars on just a charter to go attempt a run in cup it's just too expensive for even dale jr he's been been around this sport long enough to know that this won't last no i mean it's the inflated value of the charters eventually is probably going to go back down at some point but i think the teams are just trying to cling to it as its biggest bargaining chip where why i mean if you're a team owner would you want to just willingly if let's say Jim France wants to kill off charters and says, you know what, we're ending this system in the Cup Series, if you're uh, if you're Rick Ware, you're going to lose sixty million dollars in value if those just go away, and that's sixty million dollars in value that he like accrued through, you know, various deals and trying to get build up charters so that he could even have that money in the first place, or uh, even a four car team. I mean, you're losing. Oh, you're losing over a hundred million dollars in value to your team if those just disappear into the atmosphere. So, uh, I don't know. I, I would you want to get rid of those? Would you want to lose charters? I mean, no. But in order for something to be worth thirty-five million dollars, there has to be a buyer for it. If there are no buyers, then the prices will come down. That's true. And the problem right now is that there are buyers, but I don't know if they're willing to pay that price. Uh, do you exactly. think it's? Do you think it's going to be teams like 2311 and Trackhouse that actually invested in this charter system that ironically end up almost advocating it for its demise because they can't afford to purchase any more charters to further build their teams where Trackhouse now is going to have the sponsorship probably for three and then uh, you're going to have 2311 has been wanting to expand to three cars and uh, I mean... It's not including even all the other teams that want to expand. Uh, do you think, ironically, it might be those teams that solve this issue? Possibly. It, it's going to be interesting for sure, but, you know, in order for something to be worth it, there has to be a buyer. And if there's not a buyer at that price, the price can only go down. All right. 
Dale, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. It's always a pleasure having you. Thank you, Ben Cower. All right, so... As the music rolls, that'll do it for tonight's episode of Speed Zone. We will actually be back next week at 7 p.m. Last, uh, There won't be a baseball game next Wednesday. And if there is, uh, then I guess there'll be baseball. But you know what? We should be back 7 p.m. next week. Uh, again, it's always a pleasure having you tune into the show. Going to have a great show next week. So until then, uh, go trade some paint, drop the hammer. Thanks for listening to Speed Zone. You've been listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.